peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. This time, we have a full house of people, all awesome people here, ready to talk to you guys about a whole bunch of stuff. We have the usual crew in the house with my co-hosts, George Briones, and our one and only, near and dear to our hearts, the, the patron saint of all things crazy at Softlead HQ, Brooke West, our registered dietitian nutritionist. And today we have the pleasure of Madeline LaRouche and Samantha Mason joining us. They are both dietetic interns at Western Carolina University. They have had the distinct pleasure, probably not so much, of hanging around Softleet headquarters for the last couple of weeks and have been privy to things that probably no human being should ever be privy to in a workplace, but hopefully they had a good experience uh, coming down to the end here uh, for their time with us, and they've been doing a lot of great work, a lot of good research they put out. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to make this all meaningful, talk training, talk nutrition, just like we normally do. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to our lovely only registered dietitian on our staff to kind of give us an overarching view to, to really kick this discussion off of why do RDNs even really matter? Why do we need them? That was quite the intro, Chris. Thank you. Uh, registered dietitian nutritionist is mostly a mouthful, but there's a lot behind the meaning. I get asked a lot through email and social media, what does it actually mean to be an RDN and how do you become one? And so I thought it was really fitting since this week or past couple weeks, I've had my first ever dietetic interns. Hopefully I was an okay preceptor. Um, preceptor. It's a weird word. I don't even know where that came from. You're so old. Stop. (laughs) I just have these visions of like Mr. Sweeney from back in the day, like the old, like, no, never mind. You mean, you mean Mr. Feeney? Yeah. Mr. Feeney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. I wish I had as much, you know, infinite wisdom as Mr. Feeney did, but I think I just have a lot of sarcasm. <laughs> Wait, did did Chris actually just ver- like say Mr. Feeney, I, Mr. I, Sweeney? Sweeney. Did, did I did I say Sweeney? You, you said Sweeney. Oh, my God. I'm a hardcore Boy Meets World fan, so I apologize. Mr. Feeney, preceptor. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. <laughs> uh, but I think that this is a conversation that I want to have. Uh, what is the definition of an RDN? Uh, kind of how we differ. I guess I'll start this off with a with a riddle that all dietitians are nutritionists, but not all dieti- or nutritionists are dietitians. It's like they say all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. That's how I interpret what you just mm-hmm. said. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, a nutritionist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I give you I give Chris a hard time on the podcast jokingly when he'll call me a nutritionist because anyone can actually call themselves a nutritionist. It's not in any way a regulated word or term. You see so many self-proclaimed social media nutritionists and it, it can be a really dangerous thing if people are not taking the time to put out science and evidence, evidence-based information. Um, and that's not to discount a lot of people who are into nutrition and call themselves nutritionists uh, because some people really are trying to put out great information. I just think that there's, there's so much out there. Sometimes it's hard to sift through. Let me ask you this true. 
honest, honest question. Cause I, I, I remember having this conversation a lot when I got my CrossFit level one and cause it was, it was a very common criticism in the same manner that someone who, you know, attends a weekend class, you know, 48 hours of learning can, you know, adequately coach people in strength and conditioning and, and not even coach people, but even a tiny, tiny dosage of like programming, a little bit of nutrition. This was back when like the zone diet was a thing, like paleo zone, like, you know, portioning out everything and they, and, and leaving that certification, you know, they just like, oh yeah, you guys, you know, go forth and do great things. And, you know, I don't know, just help everyone. Right. Let me ask you this. It, because of how the fitness industry has boomed over the last, you know, we'll call it 20 to 30 years, is is the load too large for just registered dietitians and therefore need nutritionists? Or is this like, is there a purpose for nutritionists in this world? Or is this like a, in the same way that like, you know, I need to be a, a certified strength and conditioning coach certified through the National Strength and Conditioning Association, you know, with a degree in exercise science or kinesiology in order to, you know, do my job? Or is this something that like you guys can do? I, I think that there's a huge misconception about what dietitians actually do. It's been argued that dietitians are taught medical nutrition therapy, they're supposed to be working in the clinical setting when in reality we are taught so much more ranging from community to research to sports to wellness to cardiovascular health. Um, so there's absolutely a place for dietitians, you know, like myself, that's my specialty is human performance. Uh, that I really have an issue when people are like arguing I that a coach or someone else can fill a void because we spend to put this in perspective, we go to school, we get a bachelor's degree. We go through a dietetics program four years. Then we go to an internship year, which Madeline and Sam are at where you spend at least 1200 hours supervised under other dietitians in various fields, uh, which is where I came in. So I was kind of a probably very non-traditional dietitian compared to what others do. Um, then you have to sit for a board exam, which is extremely challenging. You have to pass a board exam to earn your credentials. And many dietitians go on to get a master's degree, which I chose to do. And it soon is going to be required. They're both working on their master's now. Soon in 2024, it's going to be required. So that's like a minimum of six years education, an internship year, sometimes combined with your master's, and then sitting for a board exam. And then to me, the biggest piece is we are required to continue our education and a lot of it. And I think that that's a pretty high standard and that's why dietitians can confidently use, in my opinion, the word nutrition expert. We absolutely have specialties. I talked about this with Ashley um, Kitchens on a podcast. I don't specialize in vegetarian and vegan diets. She does. So if someone comes to me and asks me about them, I have a baseline because it was a part of my education. That's not my specialty. I'm going to refer you to a dietitian where that's their specialty. So, you know, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, no, that, that like I said, that completely makes sense. And I know that I would never, I would never ever advocate for, you know, to, or even to make the argument that there's, you know, some sort of equality between the level of education of a nutritionist versus a dietitian. I was just curious, you know, at, I mean, cause we all like, you know, I guess my next question, the follow-up question to that is, you know, where do you see the, 
the biggest breakdown of like the nutritionist? Like, are they are they just putting out just absolute nonsense, or is is what they're not saying all of them? Is what they're saying uh, wrong? I want to I want to clarify because I don't want people who have really dedicated themselves to learning about nutrition, learning about the research, and researching a specialty. I don't want to discount the effort that they have made, uh, but I think that a lot of people, unfortunately, do push um, like fad diets and some things sure. that I don't necessarily think are truly founded in a lot of research. Yeah, I think that's, but that's very common, right? Like, I don't think you live in a world where, you know, people are really bent on research, you know, like, I mean, they, they want to know just enough. And, and especially when you look at the age of social media and how people draw their inspiration, especially for fitness, they purely go like, oh man, this is what this guy did or that girl did. Right. That will work for me. Right. Just because someone Tell has a six pack, like just because someone has a six pack does not mean they're a nutrition expert. Right. And I think that we kind of need to get away from this aesthetic driven mindset we have, because in my mind, that's kind of perpetuating unhealthy nutrition habits. Sure. And I guess like, you know, what what, the argument that and this is uh, this is going to be an odd parallel, but I promise I'll bring it back. Um, This was a when I when I was in special forces, one of the arguments that they made for giving everyone like medical training in special forces was because of the scarcity of higher level medical care. So, you know, even though I am a I'm a team leader, I you know, they required us all to have at least a minimum level of an EMT basic certification. Right. Because the scarcity of higher level care was to the point where. You know, there, there. If, if you, when we was in, when I was in Africa, if you got shot in one part of Africa, it would be like being shot in Dallas, and your nearest hospital is in Seattle, Washington, right? So it's like the distance you have to go to get to high level care. So, so everyone needed to be empowered with a little bit of knowledge to like get them at least far enough. And and even so, you know, the argument that we also heard from providers was that. If some of, you know, most of the the consultation that's required is, you know, bumped knees, bruised elbows, like things that don't need a doctor, right? Like you can fix that on your own without having to like, you know, go to Duke Regional Medical Center for, for care. So I guess like that was more kind of the framing of my question. And, and you definitely answered it. And I just... Well, I mean, the now, now that I know, I guess, a deeper understanding, I do think that if you are a coach or if you are involved in the wellness world in some way, you should have a baseline of nutrition education, like you're saying. Right. But the the diet prescription should be right. coming from a dietitian right. who has a greater understanding of everything from biochemistry. Sure. I agree. On. <clears throat> I wanted to mention something too. Um, so a lot of athletes and a lot of this population that you guys are working with are super healthy people, you know? So we're not thinking about other individuals who might have underlying diseases or even like autoimmune disease, like, like celiac disease where they have to completely exclude gluten or um, type one diabetes. You know, I know a lot of CrossFit athletes and athletes in general who have type one diabetes and they need a dietitian or a diabetes educator to literally like coach them through their diet in order to build muscle and not have any like bottoming out of your glucose, which essentially means you have low blood um, sugar. And so if someone, that's that's such a good point. If someone like that was to go to a coach that doesn't have a baseline understanding, it could be really dangerous if they're like, Oh, at keto queen is selling keto meal plans. Um, that could actually be extremely dangerous for someone who's taking insulin. So 
I think that that's a big thing that needs to be taken into consideration when you're making your choices. There's definitely nutrition certifications for a week, you know, a weekend cert or something like that where you can give, I think everyone, someone made the argument of like, well, who, why are you trying to stop me from telling people they should eat more fruits and vegetables and drink less soda? I'm like, no one's trying to stop you from that. Dietitians are just advocating for the fact that when it comes to diet prescription and specific foods, medical right. nutrition mm-hmm. therapy, like you mentioned, there needs to be a standard and a scope of practice to regulate the industry. Exactly. Just like um, you're going to go to the dentist, you need teeth for your teeth. Mm-hmm. You go to a doctor if you need stitches, hopefully, not like Uncle Bob back behind the barn. There are certain things that are recognized, even to go get your hair done, you go to a licensed like hairstylist who's been to school. So it's just a regulatory term. Right. Like we operate under our code of ethics, you know, right, like exactly. we're, we want to do safe practice and not hurt anyone and, you know, doing that. So we're just held to a standard and we right. can get in a lot of trouble if we violate For that. Sure. So it's also, you know, when it comes to this world of everything on social media, it can be hard to hold your online coach to that same mm-hmm. standard again not bashing i'm just saying <laughs> it's, it's not bashing wanna, throwing shade i just want to i just want to i just want to like you know little thought no, thought provoking you're, you're absolutely right and and you know like i i i think the the most apt point i think when i took from all that was you know it very much depends on the level of individual that that you're working with you know and, and even even back when I did my my mobility stuff, when I kind of like developed that as my little niche capability within coaching, you know, the overwhelming point that was brought up even by physical therapists was that there's a big difference between getting the elderly to walk again and having someone snatch 300 pounds. Both will require some level of, you know, physical therapy and movement coaching, but it's very different, right? You know, and and absolutely, I mean, you're right, because I think you do deal, like especially in the way that people come into the gym, you know, you have people who are just, and I know we... We did a we did a podcast on bro science. This is what we're talking about, guys. We're talking about seeking out the right source of information as opposed to just the person who's willing to just be like throw you some advice, right? Like and that's not to say that the advice that they would give you is necessarily bad. It's just the advice that worked for them in whatever capacity. But you're right. If you have celiacs, if you have type 1 diabetes, you need something different than what the keto queen on Instagram is is putting out, you know, despite the fact that she might look amazing in a bikini and you might not feel so good about yourself. And therefore you want to look amazing in a bikini too. just understand that there's certain considerations that you have to take into account. And unfortunately with the, the length of education that nutritionists get, they're probably not going to be able to address that for you, despite however, sexy they might look on on the beaches <laughs> i do want to encourage coaches if you are a fitness coach if you are a strength coach i really do want to encourage you to seek some type of nutrition certification and there are some good ones out there to establish a baseline understanding so you can start the conversation with a client and then the second you feel like they need a little bit more than you giving them general guidelines refer them off to someone who has a higher level of understanding and education and can provide that service. And so I really respect when coaches do that um, and refer them to programs or other practitioners that that to me is really awesome. Mm -hmm. It should work together. Just like we don't, we don't do, we don't do exercise prescription. We refer them to an appropriate coach. Yeah. And, And this kind of brings me to this too, is it's one of these things where whenever I seek out 
information or research or resources or even someone to help me in the realm of becoming a better coach or better athlete. I want to see who's actually living that lifestyle. I don't, and realistically, right? A degree's a degree, right? I've seen some really shitty strength conditioning coaches. I've seen some really good strength conditioning coaches with the CSCS and what you want to name it. I've also seen some really shitty fucking RDNs, and I've seen some really good RDNs, but I've also seen some really good coaches without the degree behind their name, and I've also seen some really good nutritionists now without that behind their name due to the fact that they've actually lived the lifestyle and actually have experienced through trial and error. So that's where it brings me to the idea now that with doing this for so long and understanding, because again, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine uh, last week about the idea of like reaching towards experiences and and then college degrees, right? Like he's working towards his master's right now in the realm of like, in the realm of like endocrine, the endocrine system and all these other things, but he's been coaching for 10 years and he's barely getting his PhD and his master's now after 10 years of doing this. And then all of a sudden, when it comes back now, we look at this realm, he's like, we have these people who go ahead and go to school and do all these things, but now we're missing that lack of experience in the trial and error. At the same time though, they bring a new system that actually makes the athlete understand or makes the individual understand what it is. I know going through a few internships that I've done, the first thing that we talked about, like I've gone to intern under Dr. Quinn Hennock for PT, who has actually been able to help out with the idea of seeing movement and seeing how people do things. But again, he he tells us right away is like, hey, there's a certain points where you can only help an athlete so much as a strength coach that you have to have to reach out for help. It's the same idea here where it is like, yeah, anybody can be nutritionist, anybody can be a strength coach, but at the same time, though, there's a certain point where it's like, I can't help you here because again, it's against my ethics and and obviously there's people who are more qualified to help you in this realm because they actually have the understanding of it. So it brings you down to the idea of like, yes, there's a huge difference in these realms, but at the same time that we have to make sure that they're simple, like you've said, Brooke, they're super clear in how we approach liked, things when it comes down right, to like- I like the point you brought up that it doesn't, not, you know, you can't just have these degrees and these credentials that your experience needs to match. You need to practice what you preach. You need to live it in order to be the best professional you can be. Um, and I, that's something that I'm really passionate about. And I think, I'll, I guess the dietitians I choose to surround myself with that I'm close with also are the same way, but there's absolutely people out there where you can read all the science in the world, but there's something to be said for living the experience and living the lifestyle and really diving in. Well, that's the, but that's the whole, that's the whole point of like, like what, what a coach actually is, right? Like, I mean, a coach is just, is someone who can effectively deliver, you know, a, a clear and concise pathway as to what you need to do. I mean, cause like it's, you, and you can, you can make the argument, you know, whether you need one, whether you need the other, like, do you need experience? Do you need education? Like, yes, absolutely. The, the ideal situation is that you need both. You need education and you need experience in order to refine and validate that education. Um, but I think like, you know, being, you know, which doctors are doctors too, but none of them have their, you know, MDs. They do heal people, you know, like in, and in, in other parts of the world. And as far as human beings are concerned, I mean, we consulted witch doctors long, you know, before we consulted medical doctors. Right. And, and that's not to say, and, and I get, we're all, we're all agreeing on the same point. I think that ultimately what we can all agree on and what we are advocating for is we are advocating for people to educate themselves. And there, if you are a coach and you do find, and probably 
like most coaches find that people approach them, you know, inquiring as to things that may or may not be within your wheelhouse. And it's on you to educate yourself and or, you know, be humble enough to the point where you do refer these people to, you know, higher levels of education and guidance and, and, or, you know, seek advice. Like sometimes like I, sometimes certain people just reach certain people really well. So I've, I've had, I, you know, there's a third option and you just be the intermediary, right? Like you go ask the advice from a registered dietitian, but then you relay that message through whatever, like your mannerisms and your most effective way of communicating, because that's what that person understands. Like they know you, they might not know Brooke, but it's it's like it's like Brooke speaking through me. You know, it's her you words. You and George do a good job of that. <laughs> You'll come to me, and then I'll explain something, and yeah. then you relay it to right. whoever it was. And that's the like I said, and that's and that's coaching, right? That's what all coaches do. You know, the the principles are few, but the methods be many, right? So, anyways, moving on. Like I said, I I think I will forever now. I will I will never make the mistake between registered dietitian and nutritionist now. No, you don't. It's okay. You're not going <laughs> to offend me. I promise. I just like to give you a hard time. But uh, uh, some people really will get offended. So. Oh, I, you know, <laughs> but it's like anything else, right? Because everyone, that's it's a thing called ego, right? You got to yeah. put together that. So there's some other topics that we wanted to address on today's podcast, some of which that these two lovely dietetic interns have been working very hard on. Um and the first one we were talking about has to do with the uh, with the gut microbiome, right? And I was I, whenever so for those of you guys who if you don't read, you definitely should. One of the authors you should read is a guy by the name of John Green. He wrote a book called Turtles All the Way Down. It's this, you know, this little teenage anxiety driven girl is obsessed with her gut microbiome. Like it really like it it gives like you know really raises the question of yourself as a singular pronoun right i mean you're 51% some odd bacteria there's more bacteria than than you of actually you right so so this was madeline's i believe correct yes all right so go <laughs> ahead what do you, what are we talking about here all right so um just to get started so this is some of the research that i found so a team of scientists at harvard um, actually have been scouting out elite athletes, even some Olympic athletes. I and have not been notified this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So they're literally studying um, their microbiome and they're taking samples of their poop and that's how they're doing it. And they're looking at specifically like what makes their microbiome different than like any other Joe Schmo. Um, and what they found is that um, some of these endurance athletes, so specifically like the rowers, the Olympic rowers, they have um, specific strains of bacteria in their gut that break down lactic acid. So they have um, this, essentially this bacteria that is helping break down all this lactic acid, which is going to improve their recovery time and speed up... um, the buildup of that. So that was really interesting. And so how do we, how do we get it? So, well, the next thing is that they're actually like looking into how to make that into a supplement form. So they, hell yes, they harvested it and they fed it to mice to see what it would do to them. They just need to bring it to Softlead HQ. We'll test the show. um, (laughs) Yeah, they, I mean, it's working in the mice. So they, they fed it to the mice and they're measuring its effect on their lactic acid and how they're, um, using it and like their fatigue levels and things like that. 
And so their ultimate goal is to develop a probiotic supplement in order that's to, awesome. yeah. So. so is that, I, and that's, that's actually a really interesting point because is that kind of like, you know, I, and I know supplements are like this very widely debated topic, right? And there's no, you know, obviously no FDA regulation. There's no, I, I mean, there's a couple supplements out there that have, you know, large bodies of research, but ultimately like when you look at, you know, pushing the bounds of human performance forward, you know, you're talking about operating on this cutting edge of sports supplementation. So is that, I guess, is that where like supplements are going? Like, like adjusting the gut microbiome to regulate human performance? It seems that way. Um, another thing on that with the supplements though, is you really do have to be careful of like what you're buying and where you're getting it from. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, cause if, I, if I saw a box that you said, know. you know, guaranteed, like, I, I feel like, yeah, it's like the, um, what's they call? Oh yeah. PFIers from the movie, the Sandlot guaranteed to make a kid run faster and jump higher. This is like this pair. Of I actually have, I do have a pair of those in my closet, by the way, no lie, but yeah, well, they're not regulated. The supplement right. industry is not regulated the same way by the FDA. So you really need mm -hmm to do your research on the companies you trust. And I think I would like to hear your opinion, um, Sam and Madeline, but I feel like the jury is still out on probiotic supplements. And just because you ingest it, is it surviving right. making its way through the GI tract and actually doing what it's supposed to do in the gut? Exactly. Because so, I've heard mixed mm -hmm. things and I still, so, and I don't think there's enough research, I don't know, for That's me to say does it for sure work? There isn't enough research at all. So like even researchers, that is their number one question is, is it surviving in your gut when you take it? Because it's literally a living organism in pill form. And is it even like surviving the shelf life? Like, is it still alive once you ingest it? So those are have all these all questions. Dried, yep. Like powders and things. And in my opinion, I'm like, you've I don't think that that's survived processing. In yeah. I don't know. That's my opinion mm -hmm. on the stuff like that. The pills, I'm like, maybe. The refrigerated stuff, mm -hmm. maybe. On the know. bottle, it says to refrigerate it to get the best use of it. But also probiotics, they feed off fiber. Um, so if you're not, if you're taking your probiotics and you're not eating fiber, that probiotics is just going straight through your body. It's not doing anything for you. So you're wasting like 30 bucks a pop. Really? Um, yeah. I did not. You know what? Guess I need. I I'm a I'm a kombucha drinker, which I'm convinced makes me better at yoga, and that's probably about <laughs> it. But <laughs> but no, that's I did I did not know that. So eat your freaking fiber, everybody. Well, that's why I think prebiotics mm -hmm. are becoming trendy. Yeah. So probiotics and prebiotics to get on that now. So probiotics are what is aiding your gut health. It's adding beneficial bacteria to your gut. And prebiotics are like you're, you're feeding your microbiome essentially. So it's like the food and that's what Sam was saying, the uh, fiber. So okay. like bananas and oats, flaxseed, those are all sources of prebiotics and just fiber in general, honestly. Um, so like if you don't want to go and get a fancy probiotic pill, honestly, just having a plant-based, you know, kind of incorporated diet is going to help heal your gut if you are having issues. Actually, 
it's actually funny you bring that up because um, you're reading an article and now we're getting into the article and talking about like our microbiome. I, uh, I've actually, since training for this 200 mile race that's coming up in September, I've actually changed my diet and gotten rid of a lot of red meats and actually transitioned over to a higher vegetarian, higher fiber diet um, with fish and a little bit of chicken. And one thing I've noticed, and, and again, it has to do with my training as well as like the psychological and the physiological effects and adaptations that I've gotten from just the training I've done and obviously the nutrition, is I'm actually able to sustain a higher output heart rate throughout certain sessions without feeling like um, I'm, I'm gasping for air. And, and another one that I think Sam, Sam, did you write the one on reactive oxygen species? Yes, is that I did. the one you wrote? Yeah. So one thing that I've realized from this, and especially when we did a podcast with Ashley Kitchens, who's a vegetarian that does CrossFit, it was kind of an eye opening experience to go ahead and go down this route and really see how. Um, having a cleaner diet actually helps out with, you know, the, the utilization of oxygen throughout the system to keep you actually aerobic longer. So when we go ahead and look at like the idea of this lactic acid breakdown actually happening, what realistically I look at here is the more oxygen I'm getting into the system, the easier it is for this lactic acid to be funneled out faster, right? Because when we break down aerobic and anaerobic, and I've done this, we've talked about this before, is aerobics with oxygen, anaerobics without it. And when we start facilitating lactic acid within the system, we start seeing that our anaerobic system is pretty much taking over everything. So we got to go ahead and make sure that our body is able to stay in such an aerobic, an aerobic state to be able to flush out this, right? So and coming as a whole of the reactive oxygen of a species and then looking at our microbiome and making sure that we're eating a certain way really facilitates that, right? And do we need to take certain types of supplements and all these other things? Yes, those are, those are a plus for us, but the keys right there in our hands. It's like, okay, cool. Like go ahead and eat a cleaner diet pretty much to help keep your microbiome from fucking messing up or even having a, a, a leaky gut. Like I've been there. I used to be a full-time weightlifter who weighed 220 pounds and snatching the world and cleaning jerking the world. And I ate pizza, donuts and everything. And then now I'm on the other side of the spectrum who now goes out and runs forever, but now my diet has changed. And I wish I would have realized this when I was training as a weightlifter because I probably would have seen a lot better quality of training and results than I do now within the realm of recovery. Cause I'm putting in close to 50 to 60 miles a week with eight to 12 K invert, vert climbing a week sometimes. And I wouldn't be able to handle that if it wasn't for the idea of keeping my gut as healthy as possible. And a lot of people don't realize that. And I think it's a really good idea. And I love the article that you put out right? just by reading it. It's like, man, this is, mm -hmm. this is spot on, right? Like we're not telling you to go out there and fucking become right. a vegetarian. Like that is no. not the case at all. Like don't cut out a, a food source, right? And me and Brooke will talk about this all day. It's like, there's no need to cut out a type of macro. We just want to go ahead and make sure you're understanding the ratios of what you need to cater towards your lifestyle when we're actually training or exactly. living life. Jinx. Yep. <laughs> Jinx by a coat. And then any anyone who's listening is probably like, where can I find these articles? Um, these articles are going to be live on dieliving.com and they're also going to be on the blog at Softleet. So you can read both of the articles that these awesome dietetic interns wrote um, and all the stuff we're talking about. That's where you can find them yourselves. All right. Yeah. So don't eat kombucha. Or I'm eat excited. kombucha with fiber. Com <laughs> Wait, well, I right. actually want to know your opinion on kombucha because... I think I was reading now that if you really actually want probiotics, kombucha is not the way to do it. That, what? I heard that also. There's a lot of, 
Yeah, yeah I heard that as well. You're, you're killing my. It's all soul about here. the research. I'm telling you, it's like it's the trendy research yeah. topic now. So I'm like really, in, I'm really into reading about it. But if you think about it, most of them, if you look on the label, it's a ton of sugar. So it's almost like sugar mm-hmm. water, and then you're not having the prebiotics and fiber. Exactly. So I am a big fan of consuming the fermented foods instead. I'm not trying to break your kombucha heart or try and make it yourself. <sighs> well, it's really not that hard. True. You I was know, about to say make that, it yeah. yourself. Oh man, maybe I can make make a. Home- you need to get a scoby. Home- you need a scoby mother. Homemade booch. <laughs> 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 so it's funny, Brooke, it's funny you brought that up because there's a place out here called Living Tea right down the road that, that that's from me. And they actually put that research out like at their store was like, hey, the, the bigger corporation kombucha that you buy from the stores are actually filled with more sugar than live cultures that you would expect. So either creating and buying like from local homegrown companies that actually utilize the proper steps and doing without adding the sugar to it is actually a healthy alternative. If you are a big time kombucha drinker. Agreed. Noted. Well, I, there's some good local ones though, Chris, don't give up hope. Like in Durham, there's some really good ones. Don't drink this, the synergy. I I am a firm believer in the placebo effect. And as long as I think that what I'm doing is working, it is working. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, but it's okay. So, if any of you guys watch the documentary Heal? No, it's, it's a, it's a great, it. it's a great documentary on Netflix, and and it, and it kind of it talks about that, and I can tie it into your microbiome argument because it's like so how much we, when we talk about because the obviously the microbiome is a, is a huge topic, right? Everything from you know imbalances to now you know when reading your article, you know how to how to basically curate and cultivate a microbiome that's like geared towards doing certain things like rowers have this makeup versus that makeup. But the idea is, is that, you know, so when we look at, you know, I, I feel like within the last several years, like the research is really like, you didn't really hear people talk about gut health very often as like the, as like the causal factor for a lot of things. And so if you had you now provided, like I, I don't have a staff of researchers that are, that are looking at my, at my poop. When it comes out. <laughs> if if you were you should stool sample testing <laughs> is a really effective way to can understand you, what's going you, on with yeah, your health. Did, it's I true. feel like we did, did, we, did we breach the subject on a multiple or the earlier podcast. Well, actually, the episode with Clarissa and I we um, talked about poops. We talked we we've talked about this multiple times. It's true. It's an it's a direct feedback on if something's wrong in your body. Mm-hmm. All right. So so real quick, and I I guess that does dovetail directly into my question is. Um, how do I how do I do this if I don't have a staff of people looking at my shit? No pun intended. You can look at it. So okay, what am I looking for? <laughs> like, what am I am I looking for? Like, I mean, obviously, I, I can't. You want it to be like soft. Think like soft, moldable, one piece, easy to pass. That's your <laughs> ideal does, bowel movement. What you shouldn't does, have what, to strain at all. What does elite athlete <laughs> shit look like? <laughs> well, just like that. If it's too watery, if it's too <laughs> chunky, if it looks like deer pellets, it's you're doing it wrong. Okay. So this kind of brings me into this, Chris, and I like where you're going <laughs> with this, right? Because like you said, it, you said it the best, dude. Like you automatically said, what is an elite athlete? Shit? <laughs> <laughs> but, right? I mean, that because, should be the title of this that, podcast. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. A hundred percent, right? We always cater to the elite athlete, right? And that's the case. Like, I want to go ahead and ask your question on this, Madeline. It's like that Harvard research, and I didn't get to look at the research paper and I'm going to go ahead and read it. But 
does it actually give you the idea of like what their eating style was? I know it talks about lean meat and whole grains and all that good stuff, but does it get into depth like really talking about like the types of foods that they were really consuming and how much of it it was? Because when we're getting into the idea of like the elite athlete, right? Now we got to break that down and be like, okay, well, what makes their poop look this way? Because realistically, it's like, well, how much fiber are they putting in to go ahead and have their stool look solid and healthy compared to someone else's? I know, for example, like, the other day I had, uh, I forgot I had like a pizza oh God, with, uh, with like a little bit of cheese and whatever else. And the next day, this was after eating super clean. The next day there was like five stools within five <laughs> hours. That would be what I would consider an unhealthy frequency sure? of bowel movement. Are you sure? Like- <laughs> so the study didn't really, you know, they weren't looking at what they were eating specifically, but they were saying, you know, like obviously these athletes are super fit and they are because of the way that they're training and the way that they're eating. You sure. know, they're not elite athletes because they're just training really hard. Well, but that's but they're that, eating well too. But that's yeah. right. It gives credence to. to the fact yeah. that your gut microbiome—it's it's a living organism—and living organisms evolve based on the environment in which they are found. Exactly. In, right. So if you if you think about, you know, when we talk about even when we talk about training and we pair it with nutrition, we talk about fitness in general look at fitness like an evolutionary process, right? If it, if it really does start in the gut and we're talking about living organisms that are reacting to, you know, these nutrients that are provided in our food and or the environments that we find ourselves in, think about your fitness as essentially evolving your gut microbiome one step at a time, mm-hmm. which, will then, which will then allow you to do these things. Because a lot of people, you know, and, and we talked about, even in the last podcast, where we talked about goal setting, we touched on it but we talk about setting up an environment that is conducive to you achieving your goals. And now we're talking about literally that same thing, but from a scientific standpoint, we're talking about evolving your gut microbiome to essentially give you the ability to perform the way that you want to perform, right? So it's it's not, it's the same thing. It's just being reapplied over and over again. And if you guys aren't picking up on this, <laughs> it's obvious. Like create the environment that you want your living organisms to flourish in. And that includes your routine. That includes your stress levels. That includes, you know, the type of clothing that you wear and feel good in. Because if you don't <laughs> feel good, then you don't well, train good. And if you don't train good, you just, you can follow the slippery yeah. slope down And the I mountain. do yeah. think it's worth noting there's so much that affects your microbiome. From the moment the choice was made to breastfeed or bottle feed, the type of organisms that are developing in your body. Like, your, yeah your microbiome that it starts then Mm -hmm. and you can absolutely influence in all these positive ways, but even just things like environmental changes, moving to different regions, stress levels, like you mentioned. So there's a lot going on, but there are big factors like activity and diet that you can control to have a positive influence. Mm -hmm. So I want to actually go off of that real quick. So when we go ahead and look at like the gut, right? We know the gut is connected to the brain. We know the gut's connected to the central nervous system and it has an effect on that. And we know when we train at high intensity bouts, we end up shutting down the digestive system due to sympathetic drive. And this is where we start seeing these problems where the gut is no longer, or this microbiome is no longer active to go ahead and break down the food that we need. Because again, research, research has proven and stated that, hey, when we go ahead and utilize ourselves for extended period of times at a highest at a high heart rate or high intensity training, we do shut down 
our, our gut, right? We know that for a fact. So what I want to go ahead and kind of look at and pair with you, with you ladies is the idea of this. When it comes from a training perspective, right? When we're trying to reset the metabolism and go ahead and get the microbiome to go ahead and start being active in our gut by putting in healthier foods and putting in a higher fiber diet and doing all these things, should an athlete, because this is where my theory comes into now, like where I'm kind of throwing at the wall, right, is, well, then shouldn't we cut back on high-intensity training for a couple of weeks so that we can reset the, the gut and actually utilize more of a lower heart rate so we can now produce a parasympathetic response, which now is our rest and digest system, to go ahead and help do that, which now facilitates oxygen. Is that a is that is that a good kind of path that I'm on with that realm? There yes. Both, so and, and, and the episode that Clarissa and I did, we talked about this. That it when it comes down to inflammation, that will come out next week. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really excited. It was a it was a girls girls takeover, um, and that's one of the things we talked about is being mindful to adjust your training schedule. Because if the body's under too much stress and too much inflammation and there's too much going on, throwing more stress at it, even if it is something that overall we view as positive, like exercise, isn't always a great thing. You can still move your body, some low intensity, go to yoga, walk your dog, go on a hike with your family and friends. But there are absolutely moments where you need to listen to what your body's telling you and your and your gut will and more, you know, and for me it's very, very sensitive these days and it will give me very immediate feedback and maybe that's as we age. I don't know, but, um, yeah, absolutely. You need, you need to scale back your training and listen to your body in those situations. Gotcha. And that's, and that's something that's huge that a lot of people I feel miss the mark and they're like, give me these new fucking macros and give me these new, like this new diet that I want to follow. And let me just go ahead and continue with my normal routine of keeping a high stress lifestyle. When it's like, Hey guys, this is the difference between now that nutritionist and that dietitian is the fact that this dietitian understands what's going on with your system on a deeper level to go ahead and give you what you need so that you actually see this reset of metabolism and you actually start seeing that we're able to do multiple things in being healthier and seeing your stool be an elite athlete stool. And I want that rich fronting. I want to see what an elite athlete stool well, that's a perfect, you know, and it's, it's honestly, that's a great point. And it's a perfect segue because, you know, talking about needing this next thing, we have the thing for you, which is exactly how Samantha started off her papers. We have just the thing for you. And we're, we're talking about this idea of, I love even your intro. You walk into a supplement store and, and this can be, it not even as a real, like I said, the supplement store is an analogy for this can be substituted with Instagram and you're scrolling through. Like we have the thing that you need to bring you to where you want to be. And we talk about adding these things into the system, which you make a good argument about free radicals and all that stuff. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about oxidants and therefore antioxidants. All right. So the subject of my paper is antioxidant supplements versus antioxidants from your food. Um, This can be a huge issue with athletes because one of the things that they're most worried about is that their body is um, going through these reactions that are called uh, antioxidation reduction reactions or redox reactions. Um, And this is producing the free radicals that your body uh, react to negatively and causes damage to the body. Um, so I, I just, I want to like, I'm going to show you how I want to phrase this. Is it, so when we talk about like, we're, we're essentially creating excess, 
right? So it's like, you know, when we talk about like the metabolization or metabolization of oxygen, like we're, we have, we're adding something and then, but we're adding too much. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah. So, uh, we obviously need oxygen to live. Uh, but when we're working out, we take in a lot of oxygen and when that oxygen in the body is not completely reduced, these free radicals are produced through the body. Um, but this is a completely natural metabolism that your body needs to go through to be right. able to repair itself. And even, but even in that same vein though, when we, cause a while back we did a podcast on inflammation and we talk about this, you know, excess, excess of anything creating this inflammatory response in the system and then unregulated inflammation, essentially that's like cancer, right? right like, yes. I mean, if I, if I keep banging my finger over and over and over again, like pretty soon my body is going to sense a threat that sometimes isn't necessarily there anymore. And therefore I get this over inflammatory response. So, and now we're talking, so now we're talking about then eliminating that from our system, correct? Like over yes. a period of time, yeah. whether that's a change in our diet. Um, so yeah. So what, so how does like, when we talk about, you know, a dietary intake of how people, you know, go about re removing some of this like excess from their body, how does exactly one go about doing that? Um, in my article, uh, the easiest way to do that is just to eat the rainbow. Uh, make sure that you have a colorful plate. Not the Skittles, I'm assuming. <laughs> Not the Skittles, no. Oh, no. You, <laughs> I was going to say. The produce version. Dang, exactly. Oh, that just, that, sorry. That ruined it for me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, you just want a colorful plate. Not Starburst either? Nope. Starburst <laughs> is in the same boat. Uh, you want? M&M's? No. <laughs> you, you want to, the antioxidants that you want to consume, that's your vitamin C, vitamin E, beta carotene, selenium, copper, zinc, and magnesium. And these are very abundant in your fruits and vegetables um, and meat products for your and meat minerals. Is, so, okay. So, so on that though, because like if I go to the grocery store, there's a bottle that says vitamins A, B, A through Z on them. Difference between that and difference like the ones that I find in my food. The ones that you find in your food, your food is composed of very many other things that help the, those vitamins process through your body the way that they're supposed to and help your body absorb them. So if you're just taking a concentrated amount of vitamin C, um, your body's not absorbing all that vitamin C that you're taking in, even if, and it's going to be way over the amount that you're supposed to take in that I was going to say, I mean, I, this is, you know, we get through like flu season, cold season, right? Where you get like those like thousand milligram shots of like vitamin C or B12 or something like that. Well, when you take those supplements too, those water soluble ones, especially your urine will look radioactive because that's yeah. exactly where your money is going. You in know the what? Toilet. I, I bet you Rich Froning's urine looks radioactive because he can do some shit. He can do some <laughs> damage in the gym. I bet his poop well, is magical. <laughs> So Sam, so like the idea behind this in, is the idea that the molecules in real food compared to supplements is actually quality exactly. over quantity. Perfect. That's kind of like where I was trying to, I was trying to understand that. I was yes, like, is that yes, correct? Yeah. yeah, that is. So, so by getting in our, our rainbow of food, we are now actually looking at the quality of food that we're putting in. Brooks talks about this all the time. She fucking hammers it down and it's something that's ingrained in my brain now is quality, quality, quality. Um, how do we make that switch from doing this quality type diet? And like, like Chris just mentioned, like, you know, I take this, the soluble or this water-based pill, 
I'm not getting the same. How do we make that switch from that? And how does someone actually be like, okay, cool. How do we make the right choices in the realm of supplementation besides uh, our food? Well, to begin with, uh, just education. So keep in mind, these supplements are very concentrated. Um, and when your body is repairing itself, there is a degree of inflammation that needs to happen. Your muscles tear uh, to be able to grow. And so your body needs to go have that inflammation to grow stronger and to repair. Um, if you're taking concentrated antioxidants and anti-inflammatory um, uh, supplements, then your body's not going to react the same way. It's not. It's mm. protecting against that inflammation that you actually need. You're adjusting your gut microbiome by taking concentrated. Exactly. Oh, the, these oh, topics wow. are very, they come in together it, right? very well. Now I get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn. Mind blown. Knowledge bomb brought to you by Brooks Awesome Dietetic Interns. I would drop the mic, but then I'd have to edit that sound out later. Um, <laughs> but anyways. So, <laughs> so just start with the education. And then when you want to, when, once you understand that, um, just wanting to make that difference, wanting to make that shift to yeah. wanting to eat your fruits yeah. and vegetables. I, I think we see that miss. We miss that mark. Yeah, no, I hundred percent. Thank you, Sam, for that. That was awesome. That kind of like blended everything for me as well. But the same thing was, it goes back to that new athlete coming into the gym, right? Or coming onto softly. They're like, I'm going to buy every <laughs> single supplement on the planet to go ahead and help me get ready for training. That's that, that's that, that's that like, coming at you. <laughs> That's that bro science <laughs> coming in and what it's like, hey, let's go ahead and pump the brakes. Let's not have you buy all the softly protein and the teddy bear night night and everything else like that. Let's go ahead and pair it with the nutrition program that you are doing. And then as we kind of get that going, you can start pairing the supplement right. in there at the very, as you well, need. And let me, okay, so let me, let me. Baby steps. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> so let me, sorry, let me ask you this then. Um, so based on, you know, the, the prevalence of concentrated vitamins and we talk about you know we, we talk about the quality of food nowadays and this is an open question to both of you guys it doesn't have to be just um sam but um you know is there a place then for concentrated supplementation you know given how food is you know genetically modified processed cooked you know i didn't realize i learned this from from brooke that if i cook my carrots or bo was it boil, boil my carrots i i i lose all that nutritional. I didn't know that. I, I hate boiled carrots anyways, but <laughs> I, but literally the way I cook my food and process my food changes the nutritional uptake that I'm getting. So is there a place then for concentrated supplementation? From the research that I was making, there definitely is. Um, but it was more focused on the at like Olympic athletes that are in training all the time. Okay. Uh, they need extra than just the average person um yeah. that's, that's and there's definitely also certain situations where and i i would recommend doing some blood testing to figure it out but um for example one of the things that i'm recently discovering is if you take hormonal birth control your zinc uh, your b6 plummets so there's certain situations where exactly. something else you might take might throw things off and then supplementation is sure. necessary so yeah i'm not saying that not to do it, it could, but yeah. there are definitely situations so where it's needed. <laughs> <laughs> um but no but so but that's interesting though so so you know when we look at because i mean obviously we don't deal with olympic athletes here you know we you know, I think a lot of people might think that they're at the Olympic level when they're probably not and therefore think that they require so much supplementation when they actually don't. So, so yeah, so it's like, so we want, I mean, we think that a, 
a solid diet solves roughly like 99% of the population's issues when that top upper echelon of 1% athletes who literally their full-time job is to be an athlete. Now we kind of breach into the realm of like concentrated supplementation, you know, rower gut microbiome in a bottle, like, which would be great. Like I, I'm excited. I'm excited, but it's like, but it's so even from a coaching standpoint, because like when we, you know, when we get new people and we get new clients, you know, the, the beginner's advice is so simple yet the hardest to follow because Mm -hmm. it's so easy to believe that you think you need all this extra stuff, you know, and, and, and there's, and there's markets, there's, it's a billion, billion dollar industry of telling you that you need all of this stuff. And, and like I said, it's not just the diet industry, you know, I mean, we can blow this up to say it is the, it's the clothing industry, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's as much, you know, the diet industry's fault as it is Lululemon's fault for telling (laughs) you that you need certain types of clothing to do yoga. Right. I mean, like there's no correlation between the Lululemon that I wear in my yoga studio and the performance of my actual yoga. And, and we believe though that there is, and which is why there's a market for it. So it's like, you know, the, you know, what the ultimate takeaway is in, and from both of these ladies research is that, you know, a, a solid lifestyle based on, you know, healthy eating balanced with your training requirements is literally all you need. If you take an excess, you run the risk of problems. So Sam is arguing, you know, if you take an excess, you alter your, you know, composition of your gut microbiome and you end up on an episode of TLC's My 600 Pound Life, <laughs> which then I then watch because I, that's just. Man, I thought I was into trash TV and then no, I started listening I'm, I'm to like, like <laughs> what's on Chris's TiVo and I'm like, damn, dude, like you have me beat. I do. I do indulge in some really, really <laughs> trashy TV from time to time. But nonetheless, like, but, but we talk about you know, like this is, this is where people are heading. Like you, I mean, we want, obviously, you know, here at Softly, you know, we want people to be able to practice for the the longest amount of time possible, you know, and, and obviously the, the duration of your practice depends on the balance at which you're able to strike between your lifestyle and your requirements that you place on yourselves. None of us are full-time athletes, you know, we're parents, moms, dads, whatever. We have a lot of other stuff to do. Dog moms. Dog moms. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, like I said, that's, that's super interesting. So if there's like, let me, let me lightning round here, but like, if there's one, if there's one takeaway that you want to like project out there into the universe that you want everyone to remember from your guys's research in five sentences or less, what is it? Okay. Um, let's see. I love this question. Hmm. You got this Madeline. You so got if you aren't crushing it in the gym like you hoped you would this year you know new year's resolutions and all that um and if you feel like you're not getting enough sleep if you feel like you don't have enough energy you have fatigue you know all these things that might be affecting your performance in the gym or even your day-to-day activities um you really should you know stop and take a look at what you're eating and also how you're living your life, you know, what stressors are in your life at that moment? Um, What's your day-to-day activities look like? And can you change any of those things? And if, even if it's, you know, you're going to eat more fruits and vegetables, you know, as, 
as cliche as that sounds coming from dietitians, you know, that might be what you need to start healing your gut. And if you want to take it a step further, then you can go and read my blog. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's a lot easier than you think it might be. And I think just examining and being mindful of what your life looks like at the moment is like the first step in having a healthy microbiome and, and getting the most out of the gym and out of your life that you can. I love it. So the, the moral of that story is your healthy guts no longer have to do with dad bods. <laughs> your healthy gut has to do with your microbiome. <laughs> Self-awareness. I like it though. Self-awareness and then make those little changes about things you can control one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Small steps. I dig it. All right, Sam. Here we go. What's what's the knowledge bomb you want to drop on the table and walk I don't away know, from? No, that one was pretty good. Um, I guess just to sum up, like today, everything from today and my article is that RDNs, they're not here to force you to eat anything that you don't want to eat. Everything is very individualized, and we take that into consideration. And we just want you and your gut to be happy. Um, from my article, uh, just keep in mind, there's there's no evidence that says that suppl- antioxidant supplements can protect your body from oxidative stress. Uh, the best way to do that is to eat a good variety of foods from every food group. Um, so again, eat the rainbow um, and enjoy your food. Have fun. I love it. RDNs are not the food police. No, we're not. And, uh, <laughs> and food, I don't know. I, I get, I get, I will say I, I have been, ju- I feel like that's why I have to eat my Cheetos in my car now. <laughs> Funny story. I had Cheetos last night. Good for you. Oh, damn. See, Looking it's all the- about balance, man. <laughs> it is though. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I never, I like some flaming hot Cheetos. I True just story. don't consume Brooke, them on a regular basis. I think basis. Brooke hid my Cheetos one time, like behind the microwave <laughs> or something. I did because I wanted to save the last bit for me. So <laughs> I'm no one's perfect. It's all about, it's, you know, it's all about a balance. Do I eat Cheetos every day? No, exactly. Maybe like a couple times a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think, George? You got any like closing remarks for the for the populace? No, nah, man. I think we no. Nah, I think we did it pretty well. And, and, and again, for everyone who is like interested in like training and the microbiome and antioxidants and all that stuff. There's so much information on online that you can go ahead and read that are actually research based and and talk and a lot of the stuff what we get, you know understand that endurance training and strength training all does also has an effect on how our microbiome is as utilized within within our systems right so we have to really find that happy medium and what works for our body um going back to everything we talked about you know brooke mentioned having that gut you know it's like well is it because you're training is it because of your stress levels or is it actually it's actually realistically everything right it's cortisone levels it's training it's your nutrition it's it's all of that so really understand having an open mind to taking this whole athlete approach that we really preach here at softly because Again, at the end of the day, it's it's all about longevity, durability, and sustainability as a human being to go ahead and be the most optimal person that we can be till we die. Till we die to the end. Till my last till my- breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> all right, everybody. So hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode. Uh, real quick, before you guys hop off here, if, if anyone listening to this episode wants to get in touch with you because they have questions based on anything that you said, what is the best way to do that? 
can they get a hold of you? To get a hold of us. Instagram, social media, email. Email or social media, I'd say. Which is what? My um, email is very long. Just get, <laughs> give yeah, them your social media give handle. Give them all yeah, your handles. Okay. Like DM you so on Instagram. My um, social media handle is at my first and last name. That's like the one I use the most. So Madeline LaRouche, M-A-D-E-L-Y-N-L-A-R-O-U-C-H-E. If you got cool. all of that. <laughs> well, we'll link it up in the show yeah. notes. Too, yes. So people can find you. Sam. And then uh, at SD Mason 2. SD Mason 2. All right, guys. So like I said, and I... Once again, I'm going to reiterate my actual Instagram handle at the end of the show because, damn it, there have been several just obscene posts from you trolls out there on my parody Instagram account, which is the celibate saltine, which is not really me. It's actually request. (laughs) Every time you do that, you just stoke the fire for me to create more content. I, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it is at Namasleya, one word. Namaslea, not the celibate salty. <laughs> Driving all traffic away from that. <laughs> Anyways, guys, we hope you enjoyed today's show. Go out there and make peace with your biotas, and uh, we'll hit you again next week with more information. Later.